The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord on a Wednesday evening with you guys. And God wants to speak to us. I know that, and I can say that with confidence because we're going to read from this book. Everybody hold up your Bible. If you're reading on your phone or a tablet, you can hold that up too. It's all good. It's all God's word. And this word is alive. It's not like a textbook. It's not like a magazine. It's unlike any other book in this world because this book is living. And as you read it, it's reading you. It's powerful. It's sharper, the Bible says, than any double-edged sword, and it cuts us to the heart, divides between the soul and the spirit, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so God wants to speak to you through his word this evening. Do you believe that? I, I know you do, but let's just pray that in together. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I'm here. I'm showing up, not just physically but I am spiritually present. And in this moment, I'm asking you, by your Holy Spirit, to speak to my heart, to change my world, invade my life, and take control. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the book of Joshua. We are continuing our studies through this wonderful, wonderful Old Testament book. And tonight we find ourselves in chapter 20. The title of my message for you is Take Refuge. Take Refuge. Now, at this point in our journeys through Joshua, the Israelites have conquered the vast majority of Canaan, and the time has come for them to um, parcel out the allotments of land to the various tribes. But prior to any of this, way back in Numbers 35, God told his man Moses that when it came time for him to, to parcel out the land and to give the various tribes their allotted portion of their inheritance in the promised land, that each tribe should receive a parcel of land in accordance with its needs and its size. But there was one exception, one notable exception. The Levites, they didn't get anything. No physical land in the promised land for the Levites. No, God said, the Levites are mine, and I will be their inheritance. So they got the best of all worlds. They got Jesus as their inheritance, the Lord. Now, the Levites, of course, were the ones who served in the tabernacle. They offered the sacrifices before the Lord on behalf of the people, and they taught the people the word of God. And so that was their role. And they served the Lord in that way. They didn't have any physical land. However, God did tell the other 12 tribes that out of them, they had to set aside 48 cities for the Levites to live in. So even though they didn't get a physical plot of land to stake their flag, they ended up getting more land than any of the other tribes, which just goes to show that when you serve the Lord, you really do get the best of both worlds. Jesus said, nobody's ever given up anything for me, but they received a hundredfold, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Amen. So if you want to experience a full and abundant life, then you give God your best, because he saves his best for those who hold back the least, okay? So that's the Levites. Now, within those 48 cities that they got to dwell in and call home, 
God designated six of them as cities of refuge. And that's what we're going to be reading about and talking about in our study tonight, these cities of refuge. So let's go ahead and dive into our text there in verse 1 of chapter 20. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah. East of the Jordan, on the other side from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. All right, so here we have it, the establishment of these six cities of refuge. And, and as we get started tonight, let me just invite you to think through the meaning of that word. What kind of images does that word conjure up in your mind's eye? I mean, how many of us, by a show of hands, could use some refuge from all that's been going on in our world over the last, I don't know, 14 months or so? Amen. We could all use some refuge. And so that's what this text deals with. A refuge describes a place of security and comfort and safety. Here's how Webster's Dictionary defines the word for us. A refuge is a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. So that's what a refuge is. Now, I was reading this past week about these places that they have set up in different areas of Switzerland. And alongside some of the, the, the roads that are more in the more remote regions of Switzerland, they have these simple block structures set up at regular intervals. And there's not, nothing fancy about them. They're just little simple block structures. And then painted on the side of each one of them are the words refuge number one, refuge number two, refuge number three, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason these shelters are there is for any travelers who happen to find themselves caught in one of the severe storms that are so uh, current in that part of the world and prevalent in that part of the world. And should unsus some unsuspecting traveler happen to get caught in one of those storms, they can take shelter in one of these refuges and be kept safe. And that's essentially the purpose that the cities of refuge served in ancient Israel. They were places where a person could flee and find shelter and safety. Now, that word flee is an important theme in our text tonight. It shows up a number of times. When you, when you were making your way to a city of refuge, you didn't just meander there. 
You fled there. And here's why. The only reason you would be going to a city of refuge is if you had accidentally killed someone. In our modern judicial system, we call this manslaughter, right? Well, in the event that something like that happened in ancient Israel, the individual who had accidentally killed someone could flee to one of these six cities that had been designated by God. And there, in the gates of the city, they would plead their case before the elders. And, and if it checked out, they would be welcomed in. And then they would be protected from this mysterious person called the Avenger of Blood. Now, that is that's just a crazy, ominous sounding title, isn't it? Who are you? I'm the Avenger of Blood. <laughs> kind of sounds like I was thinking this through. I think it kind of sounds like the name of a WWE wrestler, right? Right? In this corner, we have the Undertaker. And in this corner, we have the Avenger of Blood. <laughs> so who is this Avenger of Blood? What are they all about? Well, I'll tell you. The Avenger of Blood was a near relative to the person who had been killed. And it was their right and their responsibility to track down the murderer, the person who had killed their loved one, and to seek retribution on their behalf. However, if that person who had committed that crime could flee and make it to one of these cities of refuge before they were caught by the avenger of blood, then they would be kept safe and they could enter there until a trial date could be arranged. So I want to talk now a little more in depth about these, these cities of refuge, because in addition to establishing them, God also stipulated some things regarding how and why they were to be set up. For example, in Numbers chapter 35, God said that all of the cities had to be evenly dispersed throughout the nation of Israel. So they couldn't all be bunched up in one specific corner or area. They had to be spread out evenly. So there were three on the west side of the Jordan and then three on the east side. And they had one in the north, one in the middle, and one in the south. So that no matter where you were at in Israel, if you fled, you could make it to one of these cities within one day's journey. The second thing that God said regarding the cities of refuge is that they were supposed to be available to everyone. We read that in verse 9, where it says it wasn't just for the Israelites, but these cities of refuge were to be established for the foreigner or the person who might be dwelling among them. In other words, it didn't matter if you were an Israelite, if you were a son of Abraham, or if you worshiped the God of Israel. You could, in the event that something like this happened, flee to one of these cities and be kept safe, no matter who you were. In addition to those things, the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah, it was like a collection of oral teachings that went along with the Judaic law. It stated that all of the roads leading to the cities of refuge had to be maintained and kept up so that none would get caught up as they made their way there. Let me just, I want to read to you the actual quote from the Mishnah. Here it is. The court is obligated to straighten the roads to the cities of refuge, to repair them and broaden them. They must remove all impediments and obstacles. Bridges should be built over all natural barriers so as not to delay one who is fleeing to the city of refuge. The width of a road to a city of refuge should be not less than 32 cubits, which I found out is about 50 feet. Now you know. And the word miklat, everybody say miklat. Very good. 
Miklat, it's the Hebrew word for refuge, is to be written at all crossroads so that the murderers should recognize the way and turn there. So this is from the Mishnah Torah, Laws Regarding Murder and the Preservation of Life, chapter 8, verse 5. You can cite it and read it later on your own if you want. So all these tasks and responsibilities fell on the shoulders of the Jewish priests who called these cities home. They would make sure that the paths were clear and that the cities were available and accessible and approachable. They would tend the roads and remove obstructions and fill in potholes and all the rest. And then they would set up these signs at every crossroad saying, this way to the city of refuge. So nobody had any excuse. You wouldn't get lost if you were trying to get there. One more thing. The last thing I want to mention about the cities of refuge is that they weren't to ever be locked. The gates were to remain open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Now, of course, this was highly unusual in the ancient world to leave your gates unlocked and your doors open at all times. Gates were for protection, and the, the ancient world was a scary place. But God wanted to make sure that anyone at any time could find their way to one of these cities of refuge and take shelter there. All right, now at this point, we can turn the corner here and start to deal with this idea of what does any of this have to do with us? We live in a modern world, and my guess is that most of you aren't guilty of committing manslaughter, and probably none of you, at least to your knowledge, have an avenger of blood actively chasing you down, wanting to kill you. If you do, I'm sorry. But most of us don't deal with that. So what does any of this have to say to modern people like us? And the answer is a lot. You see, while we might not be able to deal specifically with the circumstances that this chapter outlines, there's another sense in which it's all very applicable to us. You see, all of us, each and every one of us, are guilty, aren't we? In a spiritual sense. We've all committed untold number of crimes against a holy and a righteous God. The Bible says it like this, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That is to say, we've all missed the mark in some way. That includes you and me and every single person you've ever met. Furthermore, God's word tells us that the wages or the penalty for our sin is death. In Ezekiel 18.4, it says that the soul that sins shall surely die. So in that sense, you might say that we have this avenger of blood that's hot on our heels. And you can try to run from him, but eventually he's going to find you. And we all have a day of reckoning coming where we will stand before God. None of us can hide or escape from the avenger of blood. So the question is really relevant. What should we do? Seeing is how we're guilty of these crimes and we have an avenger of blood hot on our heels. Well, the answer is found right here in God's word where it tells us to flee to the city of refuge. In the case of the ancient Israelites, it was a physical city. But in your case and in mine, we don't run to a physical city, but we run to a person and his name is Jesus. You see, the Lord is our refuge. And this idea of Taking refuge, finding safety and security in the Lord, it's a common theme throughout Scripture, right? In fact, did you know that there are no less than 15 instances in the Psalms where God is re referenced as a refuge to those who are seeking one? One of those places in, in Psalm 46, I want to read it to you. It says this, 
God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. God is a refuge for those who are in trouble. He's our protection from the avenger of blood. And every one of those ancient cities of refuge was merely a type or a shadow of the ultimate refuge, which is Jesus. And everything in this chapter, the more you dig into it, the more you're going to see Jesus. And by the way, that's not just true with this story, but it's true of every story. Did you know that every story in your Bible is meant to point you to Jesus? It tells you something about Jesus. It's all centered around Jesus. And so look for Jesus in the pages of your scriptures, whether you're in Genesis or Jude, whether you're in Ezekiel or Revelation, it's all about him. So let me show you what I mean. First of all, just like those ancient cities of refuge, Jesus is widely available. All are invited to come to him. There's no stipulations or preconditions that, that might prohibit any one of us from coming. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too bad to come to Jesus. You're not too good to come to Jesus. Everyone can come to him. And that, ex that invitation gets extended to every person on the planet. I love the, the verse, John 3, 16. We all know it so well, that whosoever comes to him will not perish, but receive everlasting life. Invitations don't get any broader than that, do they? There's another one in Revelation which says it like this. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Again, I want you to notice how broad that invitation is. It goes out to the whole world. It's not just for the Jews or for the well-to-do or for the sanctimonious and the holy. The invitation is for anyone and everyone who hears it and whoever has thirst. Come to me, Jesus says, and find refuge. He's available. But it's not just that God has made himself available to us. Jesus is also easily accessible to all of us, just like those ancient cities were. He's not hard to get to, nor is he far away. He's easily accessible within a day's journey. That was the rule regarding the ancient cities of refuge. So too with the Lord, he is easily accessible. Now, many people go to great lengths to try to gain access to their deities or their gods. And they do all of these incredible things and go through all of these gyrations and, and do all of these elaborate ceremonies. And, and they put themselves through all kinds of torture trying to earn the favor of their god or their deity, trying to gain access to him. I've read about people who will sit in the exact same position for year after year after year, thinking that it's going to curry the favor of their God. Other people will shave themselves from head to toe and travel halfway around the world so that they can bathe in a particular river. Other people will give things up. They'll endure all kinds of personal pain and torture. They'll endure long journeys and all kinds of stuff just to earn the approval of their gods. If only they realized. I mean, the Lord, he's not hard to please, and he's not far away. He's accessible. How accessible is he? Well, he's as near to you tonight as your heart and your lips. Isn't that what Romans 10 tells us? Listen, but what does the scripture say? The word, it's near you. It's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. 
That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. It's not far. It's, it's near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. How accessible is God? You can cry out to him right now, and he will hear you, and he will respond to your cry. That's how easily accessible he is. Thirdly, Jesus is not only available and accessible, but thirdly, he's wonderfully approachable, just like those ancient roads of old were. Nothing can hinder your approach to him tonight. All the obstacles that you would think might be in your way, all of those obstacles have already been removed. All of the potholes have already been filled. Here's what that means, practically speaking. Your past can't keep you from Jesus tonight. Your shame can't keep you from Jesus tonight. Your goodness, your guilt, all of it, nothing. Those things have been dealt with. He's incredibly and amazingly and wonderfully approachable. I love that story in John's Gospel, where Thomas is just, he's had it up to here, and he's just like, Lord, Jesus, if you would just show us the way, make it simple for us. And you remember what Jesus said to him there in John chapter 14? He said, Thomas, if you see me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Thomas says, Lord, we need to know the way. Put us on the right path, Jesus. And Jesus says, it's not a path that you tread, but it's a person that you walk in relationship with. That's how you make your way to my Father. You see, again, this is so different than all of the other religions of the world because all of the other religions of the world are about showing you the way. Jesus says, I am the way. In a sense, I've heard it put in this parable, kind of parable way before, where someone will say, you know, religions are, are like different paths that we all start out on, and, and we're climbing up this mountain, and your religion starts out over there, and this religion starts out over there, and we make our way up different routes and routes, but at the end of the day, we all end up at the same peak. And that's like religion, different routes that take you to the same peak, and you all wind up at God. But Christianity differs in this regard. It's not about finding our way and making a route and accessing God by trial and travail. It's not about climbing the mountain to get to him. In Christianity, it starts with God, and it says that God left heaven, and he came down, as it were, into this earth, and he lived in our shoes and walked a mile in our shoes, and he lived the perfect life that we could never live, so that if we put our faith in him, because he climbed the hill for us, the hill called Calvary, where he bled and he died on a cross for the sins of the world. And now he says, if you'll put your faith in me, then I will become your access point into a right relationship with God. You see, he became the way for us. So now we can come to him anytime, day or night. The doors are never locked. The gates are never closed. Like Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and there find grace to help in times of need. See, every little detail of this story, it's all about Jesus. Even the names. 
Even the names of the cities that we read about in verses 7 through 9, each one of these names point to an aspect of the refuge that we find in Jesus. Let me just run through them with you really quick. The first city is Kadesh. And that word means righteousness or holiness. And it speaks to this idea that Jesus is a refuge for the unclean. He takes your rags and he gifts you his righteousness. But it's not just that he's our holiness and our righteousness. The second city of refuge was Shechem. Now, that word means shoulder. And this speaks to the idea that Jesus is a refuge for the unclean. Um, Jesus is a refuge for those who have been weighed down by the concerns of this world. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Cast your cares upon him. His shoulders are big and broad, and they can carry whatever you brought in here tonight. You know, uh, the, the Greeks used to have their god Atlas that they talked about. And if you've ever seen statues of Atlas, he was the one that carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. If you've seen the statues, he's there and he's holding the world up, but he's weighed down under it. And it's, it's kind of like a crushing load for him. Not so with the Lord. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that the governments of this world rest easily on his shoulders. What that means is whatever you're carrying, you ought not to be carrying it. Jesus says, cast that at my feet. My shoulders are big and strong. Let me carry that for you. The third city was Hebron. Now, Hebron means fellowship. And what this speaks to us of is that Jesus is a refuge for the lonely. His desire for us is unbroken fellowship. He longs to know you intimately, personally. The fourth city was Bezer. Now, this word means fortress. And it reminds us that Jesus is a refuge from the attacks of the enemy. The fifth city was Ramoth. This word means heights. And it reminds us that Jesus is a refuge for those who have been beaten down by the enemy. It speaks of God's desire to take us higher and deeper and further into the things of the Lord. Six, and finally, we come to the city of Golan. Now, Golan means joy. And this reminds us of the fact that Jesus is a refuge for the forlorn and the depressed. He wants to give you joy that overflows, because in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So where do you see yourself on that list? Are you unclean? Do you feel unclean tonight? Are you weighed down by the concerns of this world? Are you lonely? Are you being buffeted by the attacks of the enemy? Have you been beaten down by the enemy? Are you forlorn? Are you depressed? If so, then find your way to Jesus and take refuge in him. What are you waiting for? Don't walk. Run to Jesus. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Don't get off the path. He's not far. He's near. He's not inaccessible. He's easily accessible. The road to him isn't rough. It's smooth. All the obstacles have been removed. Take refuge under his wings. Flee to the Lord and be saved. And then once you get there, stay in his presence. That's the other word that we read in verse 6, where it says they are to stay in that city. Everybody say, flee. Everybody say, stay. We flee to the Lord. We then stay with the Lord. That's so key. You see, if that person who had fled to the city of refuge left the outer walls of that city and decided, I want to go for a walk out in the woods or whatever, they were vulnerable and they were instantly in danger. They couldn't be protected there. The avenger of blood could get them 
It was only as they kept themselves in the city that they were assured of protection, and so too with us. It's as we remain with him. The the New Testament language that gets used to describe this is abiding with Jesus. Jesus spoke of this in John 15, didn't he? He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So having fled to Jesus, we must remain with him. And this is the key. As an aside, I think it's worth mentioning that the text does stipulate one other way that the person could be set free. And that is if the high priest who was serving in Israel at the time happened to die while you were stuck inside the city, then you were free to go, which is kind of curious. It's almost as if the, the, the death of the priest served as a substitution for the crime that you had committed. And so if the high priest died, it was like a substitutionary death, and you were then set free. The atonement had been made. Of course, this too obviously points us to Jesus. He's not just our city of refuge, is he? He's also our great high priest who made the once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. And now, having shed his blood, our victory is secured. So our freedom is found in Christ. We flee to him. We abide with him. And we're safe in him. So as we close this evening, there's just one more thought I want to bring to you from our story, our chapter that we read through tonight and in relation to this idea of taking refuge in Jesus. One of the things I noticed in here, and perhaps you did too, is that these cities of refuge that were set apart, they only serviced the innocent. There was no refuge to be had for the guilty. If you were guilty, they would hand you over, and you would be toast, right? And of course, this poses a major problem for all of us, doesn't it? After all, we've already firmly established that we're all guilty in the eyes of God. Every single one of us stands guilty before him. So what are we to do? Well, while that is true in one sense and was true, certainly, of all of us at one time, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are no longer guilty. He's removed the stain of our sin. He's declared us righteous and innocent in his presence. The Bible talks about how he took the list of sins and accusations, all the things that the devil is in heaven. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And he's like, Daniel did this. And what about this? And what about that? And he's just like that, 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 listing these things out. And the Bible says, Jesus took that long list. And don't you know, it's a long list. And he nailed it to the cross. And there he dealt with all of your sins and mine. So praise God, we're innocent tonight. Not because of anything we've done, mind you but because of who he is and because of the things that he's done for us. So the message tonight is a simple one, isn't it? It's straightforward. We are to run to the Lord. Don't walk. Don't meander. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Don't get sidetracked. Run to Jesus. If your heart is overwhelmed, find refuge under his wings. If your heart is heavy, Cast your cares on him. His shoulders are big, and they're able to, to handle it. If you're depressed tonight, take refuge in Jesus. If you're being buffeted by the enemy, take refuge in Jesus. No matter what the case is tonight, the answer is the same. 
run to him and abide with him. So as we close, let me, let me just, every head bowed and every eye closed. Are you currently abiding with Jesus? As you think about your life, are you abiding with him? And here's how you know that you're abiding. Jesus said, as the vine is connected to the branches and the branch to the vine and the branch can't produce fruit unless it's connected, so, so it is with us. Every branch that is connected to Jesus bears fruit. And so let me just ask you in this moment to inspect your life. Do you see fruit? And you say, well, what's, what's fruit? What does that mean? Well, the Bible describes the fruit of the Spirit for us in Galatians chapter 5, and it talks about things like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, self-control, long-suffering. Are these the kinds of things that are abounding in your life? Do you overflow with joy? Is your heart full of love and light and laughter? If not, then it could be that you've allowed yourself to become disconnected from the vine. Just as that branch draws its sap and its strength from the vine, so too, it's only as we are connected to Jesus that the vitality and the, and the spirit can flow unhindered into our lives. And so tonight might be a time for you to reconnect with Jesus. And that's why we're going to move into this time of worship and We've handed out the elements of communion, and this is your time with the Lord. You're here. Praise the Lord for that. God has been faithful. He's spoken to you through his word. He's present, and he's moving in this moment. Don't ignore the impulses that you're feeling, that, that tug on the inside of your heart that is drawing you back to Jesus. If you sense that, if your heart is racing in any way tonight, that's the Lord. And he's calling you back to himself. He's saying, run to me. You've been running to the broken cisterns of this world. They can't hold water. They can't satisfy your thirst. And yet you won't come to me. So flee to him right now in this moment. And then as you feel led, you can partake of the bread and the cup in your own way and at your own time. But do so in remembrance of Jesus, thanking him, praising him. Do business with God tonight. Let him set you free all over again. Find refuge in Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.